broadcasting 438 miles between each other. You're listening to the Fifth Quarter Podcast. Glad to have you with us. My name is George Koff, as always, and with my friend in Lubbock, Desmond McLaughlin. Glad to have you on this special, very special episode of the Fifth Quarter. We have Sam Kahn Jr., ESPN College Sports Reporter, with us this week as we break down week four of college football and we look at week five. Desmond, how are you this fine Thursday afternoon? Well, George, I'm a little excited. Just got off work. I have a flag football game tonight. So, you know, life's great. How are you, George? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And let's welcome in Sam just to uh, introduce himself. Sam, how are you doing on this Thursday afternoon? I'm good. Not as busy as it was the last three, so that's a good thing. I'm <laughs> looking forward to the game weekend, So, uh, but everything is smooth over here in Houston. Well, with that, Desmond, I think, are you ready to get started? I am ready, George. All right, let's get it. So last week, A&M battled top eighth-ranked Auburn, not top-ranked, eighth-ranked Auburn, and I think the real story was uh, what happened before the fourth quarter came into play. Auburn, of course, was dominating most of the game. A&M just got outplayed, manhandled. The run game was bad. Uh, Kellen Mond was the leading rusher. I think just explains it all. The run game just kind of collapsed. Desmond, did you want to add to that? Um, I just want to say that Kellen Mond himself had a very good game. Um, you know, just looking at stats, I thought he performed well. And I was going to mention what you just mentioned. When I was looking at the stat sheet and I saw Kellen Mond was the leading rusher, I was like, what the heck? Did you see? I thought there was a mistake. I thought someone had a typo or something. Yeah, I mean, if you were at the game, you would understand that Spiller and Cabote just could not move the ball. And even then, when we came out of the second half and um, and uh, Spiller came out and immediately fumbled the football on that first possession that A&M had, the run game just kind of dissolved. And so Jimbo Fisher had to go to a one-dimensional offense, and I think that's why Kalamond had such a great performance in the fourth quarter. And if A&M had played like they did in the fourth quarter for the whole second half, mm-hmm. we may be looking at a different storyline rather than Auburn only winning by eight. Um, I will say this, Bo Nix, true freshman quarterback for Auburn, he was going to be an elite quarterback. Give him a few years, he's going to be up there with some of the college football greats. The poise that he had last week, the, the tempo that he just was able to command the Auburn offense – I've never, I haven't seen anything like that since, I, I might be uh, stretching it here, but since Johnny Manziel, Johnny Manziel, the way he commanded that AM offense in 2012 and 2013, Bo Nix just gave me that same feeling. Not a dual threat, but just enough to where he he could show you exactly what he wanted to do. Of course, that was last week, and this week, AM looks to get back on the right track with Arkansas in the Southwest Classic in AT&T Stadium. Um, A&M is still ranked. I'm surprised by that. I really thought that A&M going into uh, this week was going to be an unranked team, but it just shows you the two quality losses mean something to the committee or to the AP voters. Um, A&M is a 23.5 point favorite, but in my opinion, I mean, I don't think I think it's going to be close like it always is. I've got A&M 42-31. Desmond, did you want to talk about the Arkansas game? Well, George, um, you said you th- you said that they were a twenty-three and a half point favorite. Correct. 
Amen. Well, no, I knew I knew Amen was gonna win this game. I thought that's a that's a big margin. Um, you know, I just want to say that I agree with what you were saying. Um, if Anum had came out with the same firepower in the fourth quarter, because I believe they went like seventeen and seven with seven, like correct, correct. Yeah, in the fourth quarter, they would have easily won that game. Losing eight points, to Auburn also not bad. Um, but that second loss doesn't really help them. Uh, I have Anum beating Arkansas thirty-eight to twenty-four. Okay, so by two touchdowns, and let's bring in yeah. Sam again. Sam, do you think the Aggies can get it done by 22, 23 points, or do you think it's going to be a little bit closer? No, I think it'll be around there. I mean, if it is closer, I wouldn't be terribly shocked because they played pretty tight last year, and I think Chad Morris knows this A&M team pretty well. Nick Starkle, the quarterback at Arkansas, knows this team pretty well because he was playing on this team last year. So I, I guess I wouldn't be shocked if it's closer, but to me, the talent disparity between the two teams is just too big. I think A&M's a much better team, a much better roster from top to bottom. Uh, I think they I think they win by about 20. I have them A&M 41-20 over Arkansas. I think A&M responds after that loss, and I think they go in there and beat a, uh, a reeling Arkansas team that just lost San Jose State. I I agree with that as well. You if you look at all the connections between AM and Arkansas, of course you mentioned Starkle and uh, Chad Morris, who actually played for AM at one point. And um, of course the one time AM commit Rakeem Boyd, who's there as the Arkansas running back. So just these type of rivalry games bring in a certain attitude, but again, talent always prevails, even though an attitude maybe um, has a different change in the atmosphere. Moving ahead to Texas Tech, uh, we talked last week that they had a bye week, so we really didn't talk much about their games. Uh, Desmond, what's the status on the quarterback situation? Do we know what, uh, what? Uh, I'm sorry, Coach Wells, I almost said Coach Kingsbury, <laughs> Coach <laughs> Wells, uh, what Coach Wells is going to do with Duffy and Tyner? Well, George, how do I describe it? Here in Lubbock, they always have a positive attitude, like no matter how bad we lose. It, it's it's really weird because I, I don't know. <laughs> the, the Jet Duffy hype is real here, George. Let me tell you this. Everyone's everyone's posting on Twitter, hashtag Duffy for Heisman. You know, I know it's a joke, but I still think it's kind of funny. Um, the other day, my friend saw Jeff Duffy, gave him a high five. That night, flag football game. Game-winning pick. I don't know. Good luck. We'll have to see. <laughs> um, but I, I, I'm i not going to lie. Nothing against Coach Wells, but I, I miss Cliff Kingsbury's offense. I miss that. Just He just had this just this dynamite. You know, that I don't air feel air raid it. offense. Exactly. I don't feel it this year. And Alan Bowman's always injured. I know he was, like, injured for three, four games last season. He's so good, and we can't. We can't deal with him always being injured, but can't keep him healthy. Exactly, but I'm also. I think it'll be an interesting game. You know, Jalen Hurts, Calamari 2.0, against Jet Duffy, another mobile quarterback. There'll be lots of running, but I think in the end, it's just Oklahoma's way too good. I mean, they put up 48 plus points every single game. So if you were looking at a prediction, Oklahoma is almost a four-touchdown four favorite. Do you think the 11 a.m. Do you think the 11 a.m. start in Norman has to play into this game, or do you think uh, both teams are going to start off on the right foot? Uh, 
now. I don't think anything will face Oklahoma. They just... I'm just watching their highlights and reading about Jalen Hurts. He's on a mission. He's on a mission to prove not only the statement that he should never have been set out, and also to prove that he can become the third uh, Oklahoma quarterback to win the Heisman in a row. I, like, you know me. I'm a huge Red Raider. I, usually almost every single game, I always say, yeah, you know, I can see us winning. I, I don't see it against this team. What what score prediction do you have? I have 54-28. Ooh, man. That's just, that's rough. That's really rough. And well, I mean, well, we lost to Arizona, George. That's fair. I mean, that's a fair point. So we got, got moment. So you're saying, uh, so if we're looking at, like, Big 12 play here, do you think your expect expectations have changed from when we talked about this at the beginning of the season to now? Well, I mean, I think I always said that I would see Texas Tech as being the third best, obviously behind OU in Texas. Um, and honestly, it really depends on if Bowman comes back or how good Duffy does. Um, but I would honestly, I would honestly only move him down just a spot lower. I think right now Baylor's shown that they're playing better than us. I still think that we could beat Kansas State, but I'd put us fourth right now. Okay. Yeah. OU, Texas, Baylor, then us. What about you, Sam? Since you're covering this game, obviously you've got the storylines and what to watch for as well. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I'm curious to see how the quarterback thing shakes out. I assume it will be Jed Duffy just because he's got – more playing experience, uh, you know, and he's he's shown flashes at times. I mean, he mm-hmm. he hasn't, I don't think, been consistent. But I remember last year, you know, I was I covered their game against West Virginia when Bowman got hurt, and he came in the second half, and he really showed some signs. I mean, he threw a pick early on, but then down the stretch, he kind of led them back, and he's got some ability. So I think he can make things a little bit interesting. But you know, to agree with Desmond, I think Oklahoma's just too good. I think they just have too much. First Texas Tech team. I think if you had Bowman in there, I think you'd have a little bit better shot. But uh, this Oklahoma offense right now is operating at a really, really high level. And the defense with new defensive coordinator Alex Grinch is flying around. They're very fast. They're hitting hard. Uh, I think Oklahoma gets this one big. I think 52-20 is what I have the Sooners going. Yeah, I've got – I actually think it's going to be a little bit closer. I've got 45-20 Oklahoma. But Jalen Hurts – like Desmond mentioned, is on a mission, and he's on a mission for the Heisman Trophy. And I don't think there's anybody out there right now. You could contest and say there's maybe Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin, and uh, if Trevor Lawrence can get some some touchdowns on the board. But I do think that Jalen Hurts is the best player right now in college football. Desmond, you want to mention something? I also want to say I agree with that. Sam was saying about Jet Duffy showing flashes because I believe last year he did play against Texas and he played against um old against OU both to the heart to the hardest games on the schedule that he had to play against Bowman did I think Bowman played half of Oklahoma but those are all close games so if, I mean if you're looking at Jet Duffy I know teams are different but close games Hardest games on the schedule that Duffy played, and they're all within a touchdown. So I mean, he's not—he's not too bad, you know. I'm not Agreed. saying that, but I just—I think it's different this year. And real quick, I'll—I'll I'll interject this. I, I saw Jackson Tyner a little bit when he was at Rice, a graduate transfer. 
uh, down down this way. The kid can throw the ball really well. Uh, I like the way the ball comes out of his hand. So if, if for whatever reason uh, he gets a decent amount of action, I'll be interested to see how it goes. But he definitely can throw it. Mm. And that game is the big noon kickoff on Fox at 11 a.m. Central Time. So we're curious. The first Fox big noon game for the Big 12. Moving ahead to the top 25, and let's talk about that game for just a second. Uh, Wisconsin and Michigan, which was the game last week on Fox, the big game. Uh, I don't know who we should be more surprised about. Wisconsin going and just dominating Michigan or Michigan just not doing great against Wisconsin? Desmond, did you have any thoughts on that? See, that's it's hard whenever you're like, saying, because Michigan could just had a bad game. Wisconsin could just had a good game, but I think that I think it's just Wisconsin having a good game. I mean, George, if I were to be completely honest, Michigan sh- should have lost that game against Army. I mean, they were supposed to win, but Army was pretty much dominating them almost the whole game. So I was not surprised of Wisconsin being Michigan. I I. I think that's right on the money and I also kind of want to pin this in a different situation and maybe Sam can help on this should we be putting Jim Harbaugh and the khakis on hot seat alert come 2020 uh I think it depends on how this season ends but that certainly starts the talk I think because we you start looking at what is their winning record what is their record versus good Mm -hmm. teams What, what big games have they really won in his tenure and that and that is the high standard that Michigan has. Michigan fancies itself as a national championship program, and the pressure is really high. When he got hired, he was hired to be the savior. And so far, they mm-hmm. haven't won a Big Ten championship. They haven't accomplished anything to suggest that he's lived up to that building. So I think if they don't get close to contending for the Big Ten title and, or flirt with the playoff, and right now I think that's hard considering they have that loss on there in that fashion, I think it's definitely going to be something that's talked about toward the end of this year. And I think you mentioned the loss there. Or you mentioned the big enough loss. We saw that with Penn State a few years ago when it came down to choosing the last, the fourth best team in the country. Penn State had that huge loss to Iowa, and they didn't quite get into the playoff. They chose Ohio State, I believe, that year over Penn State. So that's that's definitely something that you got to look I, at. Go ahead, Desmond. I agree. Um, you know, I just I I say what's on my mind. I don't care. Is my opinion. I'm going to use what Rex Ryan said the other day. Jim Harbaugh is overrated. He really is. I, I don't see the hype in him, George. He's he's 40 and 15 as a college football coach and 26 and 10 in his conference. I don't see why everybody's always like, Michigan's always top 10. You know, and I agree. I, I like what Sam said where when Jim Harbaugh was hired, he's supposed to be a savior. You know, he's supposed to come and bring back the program and, you know, bring championships back. I also don't think he should have left the NFL. He was perfectly fine. No, I think he I agree with that. 49ers needed him, I think, more than Michigan really needed him. If we look back, go back then, because what he's done at Michigan, he could have easily won or taken more of that 49ers yeah. team. Grant, he's, he's only won he's only won one bowl game out of his out of the four years so far. Yikes. That's 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 not not fun. Yeah. So let's. So we did just talk about San Francisco, and because of Jim Harbaugh, and that brings up the West Coast. 
is the Pac-12 in trouble when it comes to their college football playoff hopes? Because right now it looks like they're all beating up on each other and we could just end up with a three-loss champion in that conference. I would say yes. Yeah, I I would say yes. Just because I think that I was at that season opening game that Oregon lost to Auburn, which they should not have lost. They outplayed Auburn for much of that game and let Auburn hang around long enough for Bo Nix to work his magic in the fourth quarter. And that was a big one that that's going to be a mark against them. And right now, everybody's got a loss except for Cal. So that's uh, that's a tough uh, that's a tough go. Well, no, actually, no, I take that back. I guess what what is the overall record here? Let me look at this. This is okay. USC is USC three and zero. No, there's three and no, one. They lost three and one. Okay, so yeah, so yeah, Cal's the only undefeated team left. So uh, and Cal's looking good right now. I mean, their defense has been incredible so far, but. Mm-hmm. Right now, your you know signature programs. Washington took a you know a tough loss. I think that's a team that people held up as a possibility. Uh, Cal, I guess, right now is your biggest hope. And uh, yeah. but I definitely think they are in trouble. I, I agree with that. Well, let's go back to that Cal Washington game for just a second because if Cal does end up running the table or getting close to it, and Wisconsin, and not Wisconsin, I'm sorry, Washington has that one loss, and that one loss was the Cal. Are we looking at a potential for Washington to maybe sneak in or have an opportunity to sneak in? Yeah, I think you could. I think you could. We look at Cal's. Well, I mean, neither one's non-conference schedule is really big. Uh, like Cal's non-conference is Ole Miss, North Texas, and UC Davis. I don't think that's going to shake up the committee very much. Let me look at Washington's uh, non-conference because I know Washington's is not very good either. Washington, they have think, e- Eastern Washington, Hawaii, and at BYU. So none of those non-conference schedules really inspire or are going to look at the committee. And I've sat in the room with you know this committee before when we did one of these mock selections. And strength of schedule is a big component of it. And strength of non-conference schedule because that's what the one you can control. And right now, I don't think either of those teams have a really strong strength of schedule. But I, I think the possibility that you raised, yeah, I think it's it's certainly possible, especially with it being a one-point loss. You know, it certainly is a possibility. So you you did – I did want to bring – or go back, actually, because you, you mentioned something that I'm curious about. With the sitting in there in the mock playoff committee room where you're choosing the four teams or you're choosing the teams that should be playing for national championship – what does go into the biggest factor? Is it strength of schedule or is it quality losses? Because if we're looking at both of those and we're going back to A&M's resume, they have two quality losses, but their strength of schedule is one of the highest, maybe the highest in the nation. Well, the criteria is basically that they have four things that they want to stress, but honestly, it's up to everybody in the room to determine the way it's done is they group teams. So they go through like one through three and then four through six and then seven through 12 and then on and on. They, they group them off. And so what you're doing is like, first you pick the first top three teams who you think, and then everybody, they get the results and then they talk it out. And you know, here's what we think, but the four criteria are championships, one meaning conference championships, strength of schedule, head-to-head competition if it occurred between teams that are being debated and comparative outcomes of common opponents. So that that's the really the, the heart of it. But ultimately, it's subjective because some people, I think, judge it based on who is most deserving by what wins they have. Some people do it on the eye test on what they feel like looks like the best team. So it, it's all 
subjective in how it's determined. But the point is, is to have all those committee members in there to discuss it, to kind of reach a consensus on what you think those uh, top teams are going to be. And so it's a really interesting process, but I think it leaves a lot of room open for interpretation. I remember we had a lot of debates about, you know, which team actually is better as opposed to which one deserved it based on their resume. I, I definitely picked up everything on there. And so that brings up a good question about Notre Dame because they don't play a conference championship game. And so that was what obviously went into the conversation last year was because they were undefeated and because they had a pretty decent strength of schedule and they beat some ranked opponents, they were able to get in. And obviously, and we could say that that maybe was an eye test over deserving. Of course, what they did against Clemson in the Cotton Bowl, you, nobody really could have expected that unless you were like, in picking them uh, in as the number four team or three team three team um so we're going to move ahead here uh just to keep the ball rolling smu is 4-0 um illinois may get to a bowl game unc lost to appalachian state on a blocked field goal that sounds pretty familiar from a few gosh almost 15 years ago with appalachian state losing or beating michigan uh, and ACC only has Clemson. Uh, anything else y'all want to uh, pick on about the top twenty-five? I mean, Desmond, you want to? Do you have anything to add? Um, not really. Let me double we, check. I think how, there was something I wanted to mention. I forgot what it was, though. I was going to say how how far do we think SMU gets? to being undefeated? Do we think they can go all the way, possibly to a conference championship? Somebody going to be a trap game for them? Seeing how they played against TCU, your thoughts, Desmond or Sam? One of y'all can chime in. They've got two really good wins right now. The North Texas one I thought was really impressive, and the, the TCU win, obviously they outplayed the Horned Frogs pretty well. Uh, they've still got some tough ones on there. I mean, they've still got to go mm -hmm. to Memphis, uh, they've got they got to go to Houston, which obviously is a little bit of a mess right now. But they're a talented team. They got to go to South Florida, so uh, I I think it's hard to run the table. But certainly Sonny Dykes has that program moving in the right direction. He's he's done a hell of a job getting the talent level upgraded and uh, turning things around really quickly. And it helps when you get a a grad tran or I don't even know if it was a grad yeah. transfer. Yeah, it was Shane grad Bouchel, transfer yeah. from Texas with Shane Bouchel. That part helps a lot. He he's a good quarterback <laughs> and he's perfect yeah. for their offense. And I guess George, go ahead, Desmond. I just want to say, I don't know how y'all did it. Y'all want to talk to committee? That's what I was going to mention. Was Anum's the only two lost team right now in the top twenty-five? Ooh. And I'm just I'm surprised. That was got me in on that one too. <laughs> I, I I am shocked because while the losses are quality, who have they beaten? They've beaten Lamar and they've beaten Texas State. That is not worthy of a top twenty-five team. I agree with that. And as I mentioned earlier, I was shocked when I saw that we were number twenty-three. I surely thought we were going to be out of the top twenty-five. But maybe they're holding in hope that that Alabama game can be a top twenty-five shootout instead of just being number two team against. Nobody, but we'll see. <laughs> we have to wait to see what happens against Arkansas. You can't count Arkansas out. Anum's won seven in a row there, but you gotta you gotta play the game. That's why it exists. That's why college football exists. But we're gonna move ahead or move forward with 
we just kind of mentioned grad transfers, but let's just talk about the transfers and the transfer rule as a whole. So uh, there is the red shirt transfer rule. I don't know if it's one and the same. I mean, I guess it's both. Uh, if you only play four games in a season, you can qualify for a red shirt and you maintain another year of eligibility. Many do this because of freshman based, you know, the red shirt freshman idea. Some do it because they and end up transferring because they do not see the team being beneficial to their success. And the reason why this has kind of come up and I thought it's a good idea to talk about was because of what Houston happened this past week, the last few days. Uh, Derek King has announced that he's going to stay at Houston, but he's not going to be playing the rest of the year. He's already used the four games, Tulane, Washington State, uh, Prairie View A&M, and Oklahoma. Also, their receiver, Keith Corbin, is going to register as well. I'm not sure if he's going to transfer or not. We'll get to Sam in a second here. So my question to you, Desmond, and then we'll get Sam's opinion on this, is has this transfer and redshirt rule hurt college football, helped college football, or is just something that we only care about when it affects our team? See, George, I, when I was reading about this, I like when I when you asked me that question, I really didn't know how to respond to it because it's kind of both. Because I don't agree with you know I'm a loyal person. And I think that I like what you said about um, if the team's losing, they could just sit out, just wait, just because they're losing, you know, instead of playing it through. And I don't really agree with that. But also, we have seen some great college football players redshirt, transfer to a different team, and just go, like, insane, you know? Uh, I believe, like, Will Greer. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray did that. Kyle Allen so also did that. So did Jalen Hurts. Exactly. So, I, it's a good and bad, you know. It, it, uh, I, to me, it depends on if you're losing the player or getting the player. I, I, I think that's a very legitimate statement there. If you're losing or leaving, because then it decides how many recruits or how much depth you have based off of your team. So exactly. Sam, we'll go to you because obviously you've been covering this for the last four, three days, three to four days. Um, what's kind of the insight that you you've kind of you've gained from covering this? Well, it's definitely one of the more unique applications of the Richard rule. And when they passed this rule uh, before last season, the intention was largely to allow young players who coaches wanted to play without having to burn a redshirt year to allow them to do that, to allow them to play in bowl games, to allow them to play, you know, in case someone got hurt and was out for a week late in the season. Because the old rule was you either could play the, you could play within the less than 30% of your games and it had to be in the first third of the year. If it was more than 30% or if it was uh, after the first like four games of the year, then you automatically lose the year. And that was tough for, especially with as many transfers are happening now, as you said, coaches have to adjust for depth. So the retro rule has largely been a success because coaches have been able to use that, but you've seen some creative application of it. Kelly Bryant last year at Clemson being able to take his four games and then transfer when he figured out he wasn't going to start anymore. And I think that's a positive development, especially for the players, because it allows them to control some of their future. 
this application of it, Houston is definitely unique because it's basically, in my opinion, Dana Holger is saying, saying, well, we're one and three. We're not going to end up, you know, being that great this year. Let's just go ahead and kind of build for the future. And De'Aaron King, I think, feels like that his potential of getting to the NFL is better served on a good team, maybe potentially next year, rather than on a 6-6 six and six Houston team this year. Right. So one of the things I would ask that is, does that mean that top teams should be doing this for their players that aren't even going to get a start because their guys are just balling out, such as Clemson or Bama even, or uh, if we're looking at like Wisconsin and teams in the Big Ten where they just seem like they have the same team over and over again, but don't really necessarily um, have uh, – they don't really need the depth unless somebody gets hurt. Right. No, I think you're still seeing a lot of coaches utilize it that way. That's the primary application for it. What I don't think you will see, I don't think, I do not think you will see a lot of De'Ara King situations nationally because coaches do not generally have the job security in order to afford to sit their best player for the rest of the year. Because if you sit your best player, you're not going to win as many games. If you don't win as many games, your job might be in trouble. So Dana Holgerson is one of the unique coaches in the situation. First year guy, they spent a lot of money to get him. He's got plenty of time there. He's not going anywhere. So he actually can do this. Uh, other coaches, you know, Gus Malzahn cannot go sit Derek Brown or something because that may affect whether or not they have a chance against Alabama or LSU. So, so I don't think you'll see it utilized in this way, but I do think uh, coaches are utilizing it quite a bit for their younger players, and I think it's been a, a rousing success for them in that way. So if we go back to the original question, you, you believe that this rule has indeed helped college football in Without this situation? Question. Without question, the, the things like De'Ara King or Kelly Bryant are some of the rare exceptions to the rule. Like they are, they're the most high-profile, most covered except, exceptions, but they're exceptions. They're not the common use of the rule. So I think it's been a large success so far. And then one thing I wanted to clear up because every time I kept looking for articles that I just wanted to, I was running into conflicting information. This rule was put in place by the AFCA, which is the American right. Football Coaches Association. And people had said, well, this was put in by the NCAA trying to, like, uh, that was, they were trying to drive this situation. Does it mean a difference between the NCAA trying to drive that or the coaches? Does that well, mean? It was, it was a rule that was pushed for by the coaches. The NCAA is the governing body, so they're who actually instituted it. But the Correct. AFCA was the group that got it started. And they're the ones that kind of held the vote and got the support for it. So that, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it was definitely pushed for by the coaches. They're the ones who wanted this rule. All right, and uh, now we're going to go ahead and move forward and pick the games of the week, which is what the big reason why we've had Sam on with us as our first real guest picker in our tenure of this podcast. Uh, we've had friends and family and people that we've known, but we, we again, want to really thank you, Sam, for joining us and being able to pick some of these games because... I feel like having someone who's a little bit more credible and has been doing this for a while is a little bit more exciting than having just a friend or a family member. No problem. Has the same amount of of uh, logic that Desmond and I do. But we're gonna move. We're going ahead and get started here. Uh, Desmond, I want you to know that my upset record. I only lost one on the year, and that was the Hawaii Washington game, which I thought Hawaii was going to be able to pull off and. They got smoked. You're one and two on the year, so you're trying to get back on the plus side here. And, and the first game that we're going to pick is Arizona State 
and at 15th ranked Cal. The Golden Bears are coming into this game off of a close one to Ole Miss in which they had to escape and survive both Ole Miss and the refs who were big, who were Pac-12 refs by all, uh, by funny association there. But uh, I believe Sun Devils, they're good, but Cal's going to send them into a tailspin. It's going to be bad for Arizona State dropping two back to uh, back to back. And I've got Cal moving to 5-0. and California wins 34-27. Let's go to Desmond first. George. You know who I am. You know my betting man. This is Arizona State's game. They will win this game, George. Last year, they were my smallest school. They didn't. This year, they're not. They're playing a little better. They beat Michigan State a couple weeks ago. I have them beating California. 17-14. Let's go, baby. Upset of the week. Wow. All of a sudden, right out of the gate, you're going with your Out upset. of the gate. First game, George. First I, game. All right, now, Sam. They did, they did lose to Colorado, but we're just going to like, you know, put that in the back a little bit for now. All right. All right. What about you, Sam? Uh, I am going the other way. I'm sticking with the home favorite, Cal, 23-20. I think it's going to be a low-scoring defensive battle. Both of these defenses are really good. Cal's second best in the conference in, pack, in uh, third down defense. Uh, they're fired up. They, I saw earlier today they gave a note, Cal Athletics has a note for everybody to take off work early today to get to the stadium. Uh, they're fired up for this home game, so I think the atmosphere is going to be raucous, and I think uh, Kyle's going to pull it out. Justin Wilcox getting it done in Berkeley. Wow. And that game is tomorrow, not today. I believe it's tomorrow. Sorry, I'm sorry. I apologize. No, you're good. I'm thinking, I'm, I've lost my days. It's today's Thursday. Yes, no Friday night. Yeah, to, that game is on uh, on Friday, if I can speak here. Ugh. Friday at 9.30 p.m. on ESPN. Cal is a four-and-a-half-point favorite, so we think it's going to be close with me being the farthest between just saying a touchdown. You all look at a field goal as the margin. All right, next game is on at 2.30 on NBC. Uh, it's the Virginia Cavaliers against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. This is a top 25-ranked matchup. Uh, the Cavaliers are coming off a hard-fought win over Old Dominion. It shouldn't have had to be a uh, hard-fought, but they did come off and get a win. Notre Dame, of course, is having to bounce back after that tough loss in Athens, Georgia, last week against the Bulldogs. This Virginia team is good. I mean, they're undefeated. They've looked good against some teams. Not all, but some teams. I believe Notre Dame is better. I've got Notre Dame 37 Virginia 27. Let's go to Sam this time first. I think this is it's definitely one of those games where you keep an eye on Notre Dame because that was a, an emotional loss. You know, it was a game that they felt like they could have won on the road at Georgia. You know, certainly a big one. But I think they bounce back. Uh, I think Ian Book gets it done here. 31-17. I've got Notre Dame at home winning by a couple touchdowns. Desmond, what about you? I think that Notre going to come out. I, I think it will be a close game, maybe a touchdown, 10 points. But I do have Notre Dame winning this game 24 to 17. So it looks like we all take the Notre Dame fighting Irish. That means Virginia is going to win. You know, that's the that's the college game day mentality, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, if, you say, if everyone goes the same, somebody else, the other team is going to win. But let's hope it's Notre Dame. All right. Uh, 
college speaking of college game day they are traveling to lincoln nebraska for the first time since 2007 and they're going to be able to cover the first big opportunity that coach frost has had this season um personally not the best pick in my opinion i understand why ohio state uh, you know it's a probably a game that could be a trap game for them and we saw what happened to them against on the road against purdue last year um it might be a similar storyline, but for me, this game is going to be a blowout. I've got Ohio State 52-20. to 20. Uh, Desmond, what about you? Yeah, George, I was I was really about to say, I don't know why they're traveling to Lincoln, but I was trying to look at a diff- another game that might have been better. But anyways, I agree. Maybe I think it's going to be a blowout. Washington Ohio State, State's- but... Yeah. Uh, but Ohio State's going to win this game 49-24. What about you, Sam? Yeah, I think I understand why they went. It's been a long time since they've been there. It's a it's a one chance to do it. But Scott Frost has definitely got things started a little bit better this year. A lot better, actually. They started like 0-6 last year. But the uh, this team is still not there yet. Ohio State's just massively talented. And Justin Fields is a tremendous player. 41-24 Buckeyes, they'll go into Nebraska and win. So all straight Ohio State and the Buckeyes, they play on in that game. Not only is it the college game day game, it is the Saturday night football ABC primetime at 630. Ohio State is a 17 point favorite, but we both or all of us believe it might be more than that. All right. Now let's get into some of these Texas schools that we wanted to pick. Um, of course, this game last year, if we we're looking at the uh, looking at the 2019 schedule, we would have said that this game was going to be a huge game. It was going to be exciting, give North Texas and Houston opportunity. Now, this year, it just seems like what is Houston going to do now that Derek King is sitting out the rest of the season? Um, Clayton Toon sounds like a pretty good backup quarterback. Uh, we'll get to see what he can do for the next eight games of the season. But that mean green offense has Mason Fine, who I've seen in person, and he can throw the ball. He can throw the football. And... As much as my head wants to tell me the Cougars, I'm taking, I'm going against uh, Sam's alma mater. I'm taking North Texas, 31-27. Desmond, what about you? Yeah, especially after the whole transfer situation going on there, I'm gonna be taking North Texas to uh, 21 to 10. And also North Texas, their only loss losses, I believe, are against SMU and Cal, which are both pretty good teams. So. I mean, the record, like, doesn't, you know, really prove how good they are. And we'll go to Sam here for Houston, North Texas. What about you? Yeah, I think it's – this is a game that North Texas, I think, is in really good shape. You know, they've got the better quarterback. Mason Fine's a hell of a player. They've got some good offensive skill guys. Houston is coming off a tumultuous week and and going on the road. I think Apogee Stadium is going to be rocking for this one on Saturday night. I think North Texas pulls it out, but I think it's going to be a high-scoring battle, 35-30. All right. I I don't know high sc- I don't know about the scoring, but I bet I bet Apogee is going to be is going to be electric. It's going to be a fun atmosphere. Uh, definitely better atmosphere than the Arkansas A&M game. Just uh, just trying to point out that it should be on campus, not in Arlington. But that's agreed. 
that's what it, that's it. That is what it is. And again, that Houston North Texas game is not even on TV. It's on Facebook by all by oddly. So 7 p.m. North Texas is a touchdown favorite. We'll call it. All right, next game. Head over to the Pac-12. The Trojans, the 21st ranked USC Trojans, take on the 17th ranked Washington Huskies. Both teams are coming off big wins. USC, uh, top 10 upset over Utah. And Washington, a big, big win over BYU on the road. Uh, I think this is going to be a battle. Uh, Seattle might be electric. Who knows? Uh, And for me, Desmond already chose his upset, but this is my upset. And because of rankings, I've got the 21st-ranked Trojans winning this one, 41-38. to 38. They'll get the ball last and win. Let's go to Sam. I want to go there with you, but I can't. I think uh, I, I trust Chris Peterson coach teams, and uh, after the Cal game earlier this year, I don't think they're going to have another slip-up for quite some time. Jacob Eason, uh, great quarterback. I think they're going to get it done at home. That Talk about electric, electric atmospheres. I hear – uh, Washington home games are pretty, pretty outstanding. But I think uh, Huskies hold on 37-27. Desmond? Don't worry, George. I got your back. I have 21-ranked USC win this game, 27-21. I appreciate that. I'm glad I'm, – I'm surprised you didn't pick that as your upset, though. You know, I, I would have gone – I would be more confident with that than the Arizona State Cal, but – Oh, no, George, I'm, I'm pretty confident about that game. All right, all right. And uh, I believe – I think in Seattle, you actually can, like, sailgate instead of tailgate. Like, that's what they do is they, they're right there on the harbor or whatever. So they, like, oh uh, Sam, have you heard about that? Is that? Am I going crazy or is that, I, like. I remember that from baseball in San Francisco. I had not known that that was something that they did in Seattle, though. But I could totally believe it. And it would be really cool to do. Yeah, and I think they do similarly, too, in Tennessee. They do something like that. I don't know. I remember seeing some sort of funny article about like weird tailgate traditions those two teams stuck out so i think seattle is going to be exciting and it's a 230 kick so that also makes chris peterson happy (laughs) exactly not playing at two o'clock in the morning they're playing at Mm -hmm. two o'clock in the afternoon that's right and we'll move ahead back into the big 12 so we'll go back to the uh, back to the state of texas and we go to Waco as the Iowa State Cyclones trying to get back on track after that loss to Iowa. And, of course, they did beat ULM this past week, but they're trying to just maintain that momentum. And they face a 3-0 and Baylor team that had its hand full, hands full with Rice. Uh, and I believe these two teams are pretty evenly matched to the point where we're going to get our first true Big 12 shootout of the year. Uh, we've seen some high-scoring games. But this is going to be the first true Big 12 shoot, shootout. Um, I've got the Baylors, 50, uh, the Baylors, Baylor Bears, 56, Cyclones, 49. Let's go to you, Desmond. Well, I, I don't know. I'm, just, I'm not really feeling like this game will be a shootout. But I do agree that this is a fairly even matchup. I, I have Baylor winning 37-23. Okay. Okay. So you don't think a shootout, but you just think dominance by Baylor. Yes. All right, Sam, what about you? Uh, I'm actually going to go the other way. I think Iowa State's going to come in here and get it done. Uh, It took a little bit for them to get their footing, but I think last week uh, they needed a big game, dominant game. Uh, Granted, it was against Louisiana Monroe, 
but I think they needed something to kind of get their confidence up. I mean, they felt like they should have won that Iowa game. They struggled against Northern Iowa, but I think they finally got their footing now. I think they finally got a feel for what this offense is like now without David Montgomery. Uh, I think Brock Purdy and company come to Baylor and get the upset. I got them 30-27, to 27, Iowa State. And you'd be taking the spread on that as Iowa State is a three-point favorite, surprisingly. I, I, I really thought Baylor would be the favorite there at home. Oh, wow. I'm shocked. I thought, I thought Baylor was the, was the uh, favorite. Okay, well, there you go. But I do believe that if it was, if Iowa State does win, you could count it as a potential upset or just a surprise just because Baylor's at home, looks like a pretty good dominant team. And uh, for the reasons you mentioned, Iowa State could, has finally figured out the offense without David Montgomery and Butler, who's, right, Butler's out. Yeah, Hakeem Butler, yeah. No, yeah. he, yeah, he def- they've definitely missed him as well, no doubt about it. And the final game on our, on our list. Mississippi State and Auburn, this SEC West matchup. Auburn's got an opportunity to continue their uh, their winning streak and go off of that momentum that they had here at A&M. They head home. Mississippi State, kind of a, a equally as good team. Their only losses to a pretty good Kansas State team that took them to the edge in Starkville. Uh, but for me, and I think there will be a very, very big test for Auburn, but Tumor's Corner, there's going to be lots of toilet paper on it this week. I've got the Auburn Tigers, 42-35. Desmond, let's go to you. Yeah, I agree, George. Um, I think Auburn will win this game, 35-14. Uh, especially coming off uh, a pretty good game against a fairly good A&M team. Um, I mean, fairly good. Don't take that the bad way, George. Um, but yeah, none, I've often none, none offense taken. None <laughs> offense taken. What about you, Sam? I'm gonna go the other way. This is gonna be my one true upset pick. Auburn's kind of feeling good. They went in there and dominant. They have two of the best wins in the country on their schedule with the Oregon game and the road win at AM. But this is still a true freshman quarterback in Bo Nix. And I, I don't think you're gonna expect to see him play really well every single week. I'm gonna go. Mississippi State, 28, Auburn, 27. Mississippi State with the upset on the road. So it comes down to the very last possession then. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay, okay. I I could believe it. Mississippi State's a good team, and uh, that would definitely be a shakeup in the SEC West standings for sure. No doubt about it. That game is the night game on ESPN, and Auburn is a 10.5-point favorite. So, uh, so Desmond is the only one of us taking the ginormous spread, as he thinks they're going to win by 21. All right, and, uh, and uh, Sam, you can pick this one with us as if you'd like. We've done a new segment this year called a scary good game, where the spread is four points or less, and we pick if the team that is favored will cover or if the other team will cover and go outright. So this week's is we got BYU headed to Toledo. Again, you could call this game the Holy Toledo game. BYU is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. And for me, this one has a high-scoring label written all over it, but Vegas is throwing me off because I don't really think it would be a two-and-a-half-point game. I feel like if it was high-scoring, we'd get some touchdowns and seven points, maybe four points or something like that. But... Uh, it'll be a shootout, and I'll take BYU in a point. BYU covers. Desmond, let's go to you. 
Jasmine. Yeah, I'm just. Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a Matthew George. I think BYU covers as well. Okay. All right. Um, outright or just covers? I'm actually outright. Outright, yeah. Okay. Okay. And Sam, do you uh put you on the spot here? Do you have any uh, uh predictions for this one? You know, I'm curious. I, I am curious why BYU is going all the way to Toledo for this game. This is an odd one. I guess this is when you're an independent. I guess this is the type of games you wind up scheduling. Uh, but, yeah, BYU, let's see. They've got – they lost to Utah. They lost to Washington, but they beat USC and Tennessee. I think they probably go in there and win, let's call it, 30-27. So they do cover is what you say. Yeah, yeah, let's go ahead and say they cover on the road in the glass bowl. Oh, oh interesting, play. interesting stadium name. But, yes, I'm with you on, on the fact of why they're going to Toledo. Random occurrence of going on the road to a small Mac school. But I have, I have three words to com- combat that. Join a conference. Yes. Uh, <laughs> looking at you, BYU. Makes everyone's life easier. Also, Notre yeah. Dame and Army. Go join a conference. Go... Go schedule teams where you have to con- – so you can play a conference championship and can win a great title. Well, with that, we're going to head to our small schools and then head out of here because we're nearing our 45-minute mark. Uh, Desmond, I know you had uh, Houston, and Houston's just not really had that great of a year with everything, all the shenanigans and everything going on. Do you think – and you mentioned that you want – you said UNT is going to win the game against Houston – what are you looking? What are you looking for in the rest of the season for Houston? I don't know, George. I've been so let down. I had such high hopes. Maybe you just need to stop picking small schools because Arizona State let you down last year, and Houston has just kind of fizzled out. Honestly, and maybe I'm a curse. So, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe you are. But for me, you know, next, I guess- next year, next year I'm gonna choose Texas, my small school. Just so that they can lose. Yep. <laughs> well, I chose Wyoming. I, I, I decided on Wyoming last week. And uh, the first thing they do is they lose by three to Tulsa. So maybe I'm bad <laughs> too. But we all know what happened last year when I picked North Texas. So I need to go find myself a Wyoming shirt, get some mojo going, and hopefully they can get it done against UNLV. They're a 10-point favorite at home. Well, with that, we come to a close for episode number 25 total. And again, we thank Sam Khan Jr. for being with us on this Thursday afternoon and uh, in Houston. And we graciously appreciate him taking some time out of his busy day to uh, before he heads off to Lubbock to cover that Oklahoma-Texas Tech game. And so with that, signing off for the fifth quarter podcast, I'm George Koff in College Station. And Lawson from Love, Texas. Saying so long. Houston, take care. Y'all have a good one. (laughs) So long.